Lord, we seek you above all else as we enter into the season of Lent. And we pray, would your presence truly be like that pillar of cloud by day and that fire by night? And as you led the Israelites in the desert these 40, those 40 years, um, that your presence would lead us over these next 40 days. We love you and we bless you. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So this past uh, Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, the first day that launches us into the season of Lent. And after service uh, Wednesday night, um, it had been a really long day. We'd been um, out um, distributing ashes and praying for people earlier in the day, and I hadn't eaten much, and I was, I was starving. And it was kind of late, um, so Jimmy and I went to this bar around the corner called Milk and Hops, which is a great bar, by the way, and it has this great selection of beer. They have like all these different kinds of, of grilled cheese sandwiches. And we were sitting at the bar, and I was still wearing my clerical collar. And then at one point, the bartender, he looks at me with like a beer in one hand and a gooey grilled cheese in the other, and he says, well, I see that you're starting off Lent, right? <laughs> and, um, and so, um, a little judgy, but um, so we kind of laughed about it. Um, but his comment points to how Lent is often seen as this very austere, uptight season where you give up all these good, delicious, bad-for-you vices that you normally enjoy 312 days of the year, but during these 40 days that you deprive yourself. And so we give up alcohol, obviously I didn't, but some of you do, um, or chocolate, coffee, social media, any sort, any sort of thing like that. And then typically we just go right back to it after Lent is over. Um, but why do we do this? You know, why does the church do this every year? I love the way that the writer um, Ruth Haley Barton frames the season of Lent. And she says that the real question of Lent is not what should I give up, you know, coffee or chocolate. The real question of Lent is how have I gotten away from the Lord and how can I return to him with all my heart? And she draws that from the words of the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, which we always read on Ash Wednesday, where he says um, that the Lord says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Even now return to me with all your heart. And what he's saying is oftentimes rending your garments was a sign of repentance. And he's saying, don't just rend your garments and do these outward acts of repentance, but rend your hearts you know, return to me with all your heart. And that's what Lent is ultimately about. It's about our hearts. And the heart is the organ of love. And you know, we typically associate love with sort of romantic, or the heart with like romantic feelings and emotions. But um, it, was, it was like that's the emotional part of us, the heart. And then the sort of rational side of us is the mind. But the ancient Hebrews, they had no sense of that bifurcation of heart and mind. For them, the heart was simply the center of a person. It was the seat of your personality. It's your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your will, your intellect, the whole of you all rolled into one. It's basically what makes you, you. The theologian um, James K. Smith has this book called You Are What You Love, where he makes the argument that rather than, as the Enlightenment might say, that I think, therefore I am, he says that I love, therefore I am. And he says that first and foremost, we are lovers. 
To be human is to love. And it doesn't mean that thinking or intellect or knowledge isn't important, but rather that the goal of Christian discipleship isn't primarily about increasing our knowledge about God and getting our beliefs and our doctrine all correct, but rather it's, as he says, it's about forming our loves, aligning our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and to crave a world where God is all in all. That vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. And whether you consider yourself a religious person or not, human beings were made to worship because we're made to love. And you may not worship God, but you worship something. You worship what you love, but you may not love what you think, Smith says in his book. Take, for example, money. So Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, he's saying if you want to get a reading on what you truly love and value, look at where your money goes. That will tell you what you love. And he's saying, you know, money is not just the, it's not the indicator of all things, but it's an indicator. And the subtitle for Smith's book is The Spiritual Power of Habit. It's a similar sort of idea where it's not about what you say you love, but it's about your habits, those unconscious, almost instinctual rituals and rhythms and decisions that reveal what it is that you truly love and worship. So for example, hold on, let me get this out. How many of you have one of these? I think almost everybody in the room, right? So for how many of you is this the first thing that you reach for in the morning? Okay, <laughs> a couple people are honest. It's the first thing that I reach for in the morning. And next time you are like waiting for the train um, or standing on the platform, if you're not looking at your phone yourself, just take a look around and notice how many people are just staring at their phones. And it's like these things are almost surgically attached to our hands and our eyes are glued to them. Now, I would never say, I love my phone. It's the most important thing in my life. I would never admit that or say that out loud, right? None of us would. But my habit for reaching for it first thing in the morning, checking my email, responding to texts, my inability not to look at this for even 15 minutes in the day says something about my loves and what drives me, my wants, my longings, my restlessness, my need to be filled by something. It is the priority in my life. And whether I realize it or not, that habit forms me. It's the food that I feed my heart and mind on, however many minutes of the, however many minutes of the day it is that I'm driven by it. If the first thing that I read in the morning is an email from someone who needs something from me and the last thing I read at night is the crazy news that comes out of the White House every single day, how is that forming me? Or perhaps a better way to ask the question is how is it deforming me? Especially if I'm not aware and conscious of its effects on me. And that's the gift that the season of Lent gives us. Lent is ultimately about love. Not only forming our loves, but being formed by love and, and taking on those practices that help us to receive the love of God more fully and intentionally. And the goal is not deprivation, it's freedom. 
Like in our gospel reading for today, Matthew tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's where the 40 days of Lent are based on, among some other stories in Scripture. And right before the story, Matthew tells us that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And it says that as he came up from the water, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And what that story points to is that Jesus' own journey of 40 days in the wilderness began in love. He began by being rooted in his identity as the beloved son of God. You know, before he did anything, accomplished any, anything, healed anyone, preached a sermon, over, even overcame his temptation, he heard a voice that said, you are my son and you're beloved. And he would need to remember that voice and come back to that voice because in the wilderness, there was another voice, another voice that sought to sow seeds of, of doubt and fear and falsehood in him. And that voice was asking, will God really provide for you? Maybe you need to take matters into your own hands. Will God really protect you? I'm not so sure. Let's test him and see. Is God really God? Maybe there are others that we should really be putting our trust in. So many voices. You can think of so many different ways that that those voices speak to us. And we become captivated and lured in by and formed by those voices. You know, back in my mid-20s, um, after seminary, I went to go live in Bangkok uh, with some Korean missionaries. And I remember that first night in Bangkok, um, just being just overcome with so much fear. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the language. I felt homesick and alone. And everything and everyone I loved was on the other side of the world, thousands of miles away. I just remember struggling so much those first few weeks there. And this missionary, this Korean missionary, Miss Ko, in her very broken English, gave me something, uh, a practice that has helped me so much in the years since then. And she said, why don't you write down all of your fears? Just write them all out, everything you can think of. And just pray through that list and give it to God. So I wrote them out, all of my fears and anxieties about those next two years that I was going to spend in Thailand. And so, for example, I wrote... I'm afraid that I'm going to fail with this responsibility I've been given. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm totally inadequate. The lie, um, oh, no, no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering the story. So I wrote it all out. But then the question that the Holy Spirit brought to my mind was, what is the lie that's embedded in this fear? So, for example, I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm inadequate. And the lie is that this ministry is all dependent on me and my abilities and that my worth is dependent on my success, that maybe God isn't really with me or for me. You know? And I, I did that for every single one of those lies. And by the end, there was this long list of things that I know are not true about me or about God. And I was believing them. There was, there was just the running tape in my head. It was so stark, and I thought, I looked at that long list of lies, and I thought, I believe all that? I've been thinking that this whole time? And then I went through one by one, and I wrote, well, what's the corresponding truth? What I know is true about God and about me as the beloved God. And what I know is that God's grace is sufficient for me, for my power, as Jesus says, is made perfect in your weakness. That nothing could separate me from the love of God in Christ. 
of God saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. You are my beloved, and in you I am well pleased. And just truth by truth, I began to hear the voice of God calling my name and reminding me, this is who you are. This is who you belong to. And those lies and those fears just falling off of me. And that's the power of the word of God. And each time, as in this story, the devil spoke to him, Jesus responded with what he knew to be true, those corresponding passages of scripture, coming back again and again to the one he loved and the one he knew loved him. And so as we enter into Lent this morning, I want to ask you that question of what voice have you been listening to? And how has that been forming your heart in this season? And the purpose of Lent is not to judge you or make you feel bad, but it's to free you. It's to free you and to hear that voice, that same voice that Jesus heard, the one calling you beloved and setting you free to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the world that God so loved. So I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and pray. I'm going to pray for us as we enter into the season of Lent. God, thank you for your love for us, that you love us and you don't judge us, that you affirm us and encourage us and call us to yourself to return to you with all our hearts. And I pray for every single one of us here this morning, each one of my brothers and sisters, that this would be a season of being able to recognize what is your voice and what isn't, what is true food and what isn't. Um, where our hearts um, are truly longing to move towards and go towards, which is you and your presence and our identity in you, gotten away from those false voices um, that say that you're not good enough or smart enough or responsible enough or spiritual enough. So we offer ourselves, God, to you in this season. Would you illuminate our hearts and shine your light there that we might be truly free in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.